morning, friends. Welcome to worship. Let's stand together.
Good morning. I had the great privilege two times this week of sitting around a table with friends at dinner time. And there's just something about sitting around the table with friends, or maybe it's your family. There's something about coming to the table, a family meal, and you leave just feeling lifted up, encouraged, refreshed. And I think that that's the same thing that happens when we come in here on a Sunday morning. It's like coming to the table. It's like sitting around the dinner table with your family. It's like going to a restaurant and sitting around the table with your friends. You feel welcomed. You feel loved. You go deeper. You talk about things that matter. And you walk away feeling encouraged. But something else happens when we come to the table of Jesus. And that's the fact that he nourishes our soul far beyond anything we could imagine. So I don't know what happened to you this week. I don't know what phone calls you got. I don't know where you had to go. I don't know what hard news you got, what good news you got. But this morning, you can bring those things to the table. You can lay them at the feet of Jesus. He's going to meet you right where you are. He's going to wrap his arm around you, and he's going to love you. If you're new, I'm so glad you're here. We would love to meet you and connect with you. The best way to do that is by filling out a Connect card. You can scan the QR code. You can fill out a paper card and turn it into us. That way we can get to know you better. And then I have a couple things to share with you all. The first is that as soon as this um, service ends, don't leave. Stay exactly where you are because we are having a congregational meeting this morning to elect the new elders for the next upcoming class of 2023. So please stay in the room right after. It'll be brief. Fitz will lead it and it'll be brief. Um, And then the last thing I wanted to tell you about is one week from today is our very first annual Trunk or Treat. And we are so excited. We need, okay, so our goal was 50 trunks. Do y'all see how many more we need? Let's see, we're at 31. (laughs) Who could do that math for me? Um, So we need a few more trunks to get to our goal of 50, and we're so excited. We're going to line up the parking lot here. We have all these different cool themes. We've got sports themes. My family's doing a Super Mario-themed trunk. So you can come up with any theme that you want. Um, I know some friends doing a Hawaiian punch theme. You can go on our website, and you can see what people are doing. We would love for you to come. It's going to be so fun, and we can't wait for the neighborhood kids to just come and trick-or-treat through. And then the other thing we want to know is tomorrow is the deadline to order your dinner. So you don't have to cook. You don't have to pick anything up. You can eat it right here on campus. Um, Created Cuisine is doing the catering. And so you can order your meal tomorrow, um, by tomorrow for dinner next Sunday night. So we hope you'll join us. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you that you invite us to come just as we are, that you have a seat for us at your table, Jesus that you can't wait to fill us up, provide for us, nourish us. So for each person in this room, Jesus, wherever they are in their heart, whether they are content, whether they are lonely, whether they are aching for something, whether they are overflowing with joy, God, wherever they are, you invite us to a seat at the table, Jesus. You wrap your arms around us. You look us in the eye, and you love us right where we are. So I thank you that you do that for us this morning here in this room as a church family. And God, we also pray for another church family, for Faith Presbyterian Church in Cape Coral, Jesus, um, who continues to just be reeling from Hurricane Ian. Uh, But God, I thank you for the abundance of our congregation and the way they filled up a truck and they filled up a trailer full of things that that congregation needed 
and led by our dear friend Tim Glesson, he took that stuff down, um, and they were able to receive all of those things. So Jesus, I pray for every single man, woman, and child who received the goods and the diapers and the food and the paper towels and every single thing that that truck was filled with, that, Lord, those things would be a blessing to them and a reminder, God, that you're not going to stop taking care of them. So thank you that we got to be a part of that. Jesus, we pray for this morning. We pray for our hearts to be aligned with yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. I want you to know that God loves teenagers so much that he answered our prayers and gave us 10 men and women who love Jesus who love teenagers, and who really like adolescent culture. I want you to meet them and see who they are face-to-face. So I'm going to invite them to come forward now, if you would, as their names are listed in front of you. (coughs) Come on up. This is, yeah. Here we go. Y'all, this is an amazing team. We have 10 men and women, as I said. You've got Ellen Benjamin, Brooks Cunningham, We have Carly Carver, who is a student ministry uh, volunteer. Bella Guerra, who's also a student ministry volunteer. They are both in high school. So it's really cool that they're stepping in with middle schoolers. We have Rob Leveroni, and we have Mallory Spofford, and we have a couple more pictured. We have Michelle Cunningham, married to Brooks, who is also on the team. And we have Cameron Von Thron, who's also on the team. Pictured but not present, right? We, all of those listed and all of us here, are passionate about reaching teenagers, including those who could care less about Jesus, disinterested in the church, including those. We are not going to wait for teenagers to come to us. We are going to go to them and build bridges of authentic friendship, share the great news of a God who loves them, and have mind-boggling fun while doing it, right? That's right. That's what we're doing. We sure are because teenagers don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's why this is about building real relationships. And these men and women are honoring God with everything they have, their time, their money, and their heart for students. It's sacrificial, it's bold, and students' lives are going to be transformed. And this is the part where you come in. Would you do two things? Would you launch this team in prayer this morning, sending us out into the adolescent world, praying for them by name, even beyond this moment if you want to take their picture, but also Would you come alongside First Prez's ministry to students, outreach to students, by using one of these six platforms to give back to God with your financial support? And then watch how God uses you to transform students' lives. That's what's going to happen because you're sending them with your support. So let's pray. If you would just reach your hand out and let's cover them in prayer. Oh, God, we thank you for these men and women. Also for Cam and Michelle, who can't be with us in this moment. 
And Lord, we just thank you with all our hearts because you've called this team together. You made this happen. Why? Because there are more teenagers, Lord, who don't know you and need to know your good and great love. There are teenagers who do know you, but now they get a chance to go deeper because they have relationships they trust where they can ask the crazy, weird, and even hard questions about you, Lord. And that's what we want. So, Lord, help us to go find them, help us to welcome them, and let this church forever be a beacon, a, a light where teenagers know without a shadow of a doubt that they are so loved and seen by you. I just thank you for every one of these men and women and what you're going to do, the fruit that will come from their investment. In Christ's name we pray with so much gratitude. Amen. Yay, y'all. Let's continue to worship y'all. Worthy 
start out this way before I live launch and love on you. Carl Walker's going to live launch and love on you and he's going to tell you about a great way that you can help us all make a huge difference. It really matters. My man, Carl Walker, talking about the Becky Bash. Thank you very much. Is this on? Yep. Uh, thank you very much, Vince. If, do you remember last year we were at Wrights and I got up and I said the word pissed and then you called <laughs> me out on it? Well, I promise and you keep, did it again just now. I'm going to keep it clean this year, all right? <laughs> so, um, anyway, um, yeah, the Becky hey, Walker. The Becky do Walker, never trust him with a microphone again. <laughs> the Becky Walker Foundation was started three years ago. Um, we're continuing the legacy of Becky, who was a teacher uh, at Spoto High School. And we give her and, and her boys and I uh, give scholarships every year to uh, needy seniors at Spoto High School. Um, and we're very proud to do it. Uh, for next year, for 2023, we're increasing the number of scholarships. Uh, we're increasing to all of Hillsborough County, so I've met with them, and we're going to be in their uh, portal for scholarships. Uh, they also have, Hillsborough County now has a, voc a vocational program, which 
you know, trains people to be electricians and uh, helps them to be apprenticed for carpentry. And so we're going to get involved with that program as well. So we're doing great things, but I'm inviting all of you. You got to pay, but I'm inviting all of you to the Becky Bash. So scan this. Uh, we are definitely taking a leap of faith this year, and we're going to be at Pirate Cove at Raymond James Stadium. Go up Himes, right past the stadium, enter BC, go right up the escalator, and you're in Pirate Cove. Um, $100 donation on our website, Google Becky Bash, gets you everything for the night once you get in. Uh, a Caribbean feast, Mike's Pies, he's going to have guava cheesecake, uh, full spirit and wine bar, premium wine bar. So I know a guy, I know a guy. Um, so anyway, it's going to be a fun time. Thompson, uh, Becky's uh, oldest son, his band will be playing. We have three bands playing. It gets a little crazier as the night goes on. Uh, and we have other activities too. So it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm inviting all of you to come uh, and support us. And uh, I believe... Carl, quickly tell people about Becky. Um, everything is on the website. But uh, yeah, Becky kind of had uh, several jobs throughout her life, uh, but her last job was certainly uh, a mission for her. She went back to school on the Bill Gates program for math and science and became a science teacher. Uh, she had to teach a couple years at a Title I school. That was part of the program. And uh, so she taught at Spoto. She continued at uh, Spoto, and she just, that was her mission. Uh, she actually aspired to be in 26, a finalist for Hillsborough County Teacher of the Year, uh, and she passed away of pancreatic cancer four years ago. So uh, this is us continuing her legacy. So um, there's one more thing I want to say. So there's kind of a saying, uh, you only get what you give. And I look around here uh, from our in-kind sponsors to our financial sponsors to people that give time. A lot of you have done that, and I'd really be remiss if I didn't say thank you to a lot of you in here, really, that uh, helped us launch this foundation to get it where we are today. So thank you very much. Come on out. Have a great Sunday. Yeah. Thank you, Carl. This clearly is a bag of PDQ waffle fries. Do not, I repeat, do not come and steal them after we finish because I'm doing this again. At the <laughs> and plus they've been in the refrigerator all night so they won't be good anyway. They're soggy and cold. But can you see them? Can you see them online? Can you see the waffle fries? When they're nice and hot and crispy, they're really tasty. You with me? So here is a real thing that I observe with my eyes about waffle fries at PDQ across the street from Plant High School, South Dave Mabry Highwood, right? You've all been there. Yeah. Kid, six-year-old boy probably, maybe five, but I don't think so, six, I don't think seven, is sitting there with his father. And the father reaches over, and as he reaches over to grab one of the waffle fries, he says, may I have one of your waffle fries? And what do you think the six-year-old kid said? No, they're mine. All of you, all of I don't know online if you can tell, but all these people, the backs of their heads are online, but they're all saying, no, they're mine. It was across the board. We were in unison here. No, they're mine. And so I reflected, if I, if I might, on what the father might want to say to that young seven-year-old or six-year-old boy. The first thing is, is 
kid, you don't have any clue about where these waffle fries came from. That's the first thing. The second thing the dad would want to say or might have wanted to say, I would want to say is, there's two things you need to understand. I could take all of these away from you if I wanted to, <laughs> or I could bury you in a mountain of 55 orders of waffle fries. Either way, I could do that if I wanted to. You have no idea. And the third thing is, kid, you don't have any idea where these things came from. None whatsoever. But you know what? He's seven. And all of you mouthed the thing that the seven-year-old said. Why? Because a seven-year-old is seven. Can't, a seven-year-old is no longer an infant. But a seven-year-old is not a generous Becky Bash organizing, give your money to help make something happen adult. So we are what we are when we're seven. And all of you moms and dads, every single one of us in the room can relate to a kid not figuring out sharing. And every one of us wants to help the kid learn to share. But it just is the way that God made human beings that we start out unable to share. And if we mature, we become people who grow up into young adulthood, teenagers, whatever. And you begin to see, wait a minute, there are other people in the room. And what, oh, wait. Some of them need stuff. Oh, wow, I can help. And that's what we all want. That's what we're talking about for last week, this week, and next week, that kind of thing. So here, here are the waffle fries. They're going to stay right here for the duration. The bag is staying right here because I want us all to think about what it means to be spiritually maturing people. We, God loves us the way we are, but loves us way too much to leave us that way. And God wants to mature us. If you want to take the human development kind of cycle and think about it spiritually, we start out as infants and we come into childhood and then we come into young adulthood and then we come into parenthood, both as human beings, growing people, but also spiritually speaking. It's a way to measure where we are to think about the normal human growth and think about it in a spiritual way. So that's what we're doing a little bit today. So I'll go back and think about a couple of three points that are really a little bit more biblical about this waffle fry metaphor. You and I, just like that kid, often fail to see where it all really comes from. We see short of where it all really comes from. And if you just go to the text of the Bible, I'm going to it over and over again. Genesis, page 1, page 2, page 3. God said, I'm going to make reality. And then he put physicality to it. It all came from God. And how hard is it for us to remember that? It's very hard because we say, no, 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 it's mine. Now, you know that I'm not fussing. Oh, no, I'm not fussing one bit. Oh, I'm right in the middle of it with you. But what, what happens is we become free people when we realize Oh, no, it's not mine. God may have entrusted it to me. And when in this case, you get to eat it. <laughs> but it came from God. All of it came from God. All reality came from God. Everything. God made the dirt. And I don't know how God did it, but God then made life. And then God made people. And God made brains and passion and capability and aptitude. It's all God's. And so the kid forgot that with his dad and the PDQ. And you and I forget it, too, in the big sense of the word. We also, like the kid, may live under the illusion that we can control it. <laughs> I mean, 
Tell me, are you in complete control of your life? No way. All kinds of stuff happens to us. And here's the fancy theological word, sovereignty. So what part of what that God made it all thing leads us to is that God made it all, and then God is the sovereign ruler. And sovereign's a fancy term, but it means God's running things. God's in control. And it may oftentimes for many of us in the really hard things, like right now at Faith Presbyterian Church in Cape Coral, and Tim is down there right now, and, and Tom Berry, with two truckloads of stuff in a trailer. Is God looking to be in control? Well, they say yes, even with that. That's what they're saying, because you know what they're doing right now? Their building is torn up. They're outside on their lawns worshiping. They're having church right now at Faith, Clear, uh, Cape Coral. And Tim's there. He's going to church even when he thought he was delivering stuff. <laughs> So that's the second thing. We, we forget that God really is sovereign, and it, even when it seems like God isn't. So what we do in faith is we just keep living into it. We just go back and read Genesis 1 again. It goes, God made everything. God, the third thing of it is this. God made it all, and God wants to share it all. But trust me, God doesn't need your waffle fries. You follow what I'm saying here? Listen, God wants to connect with us. He wants us to want him. But in the, in the, in the deepest sense of the word, God doesn't need us. Because God is already wholly complete in and of his own self. God is not in need of us, but loves us and wants us. And if the waffle fry is in the way, because I think it's mine, God, God wants me to realize, no, no, I gave it to you, use it, but I want you to want me. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff. Because I, I want to connect to God. I want to be wanting to connect to God even when I'm not, and I don't want anything getting in the way of it. And that's what we're exploring. What gets in the way of me being deeply and profoundly connected to God, releasing it all, realizing that everything in the universe, God made it, God owns it, God controls it, and God has entrusted me to, with it, and God wants me to do cool stuff with it that are cool stuff that's consistent with what God's excited about, which is all about real relationships and real transformation. That's how we say it around here. It's why people would would. would Go to Becky Bash and give Carl a hundred of their dollars. How much, Carl? A hundred? Is that all? Hundred bucks. And those, huh? Carl said to use a ho to you who are online, all you can eat, one hundred dollars, and we're going to give kids a scholarship that otherwise they wouldn't have it to do. So, here's what I wanted to do: as I just give this over here, give myself a little room. I want you to know that Jesus talks all the time about the things that get in the way of us connecting with him. And once again, like I did last week, we're going to talk today about possessions. Okay? Here's how we're going to start. We're going to look at a passage of a dude with a lot of possessions. So let's read about it. This comes from Luke's gospel. It shows up in Mark and Matthew and Luke. I just picked Luke for fun. I like Luke. Why'd I pick Luke? Like Luke. Here it is, Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read six or seven verses. A certain ruler asked him, that is Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to in in inherit eternal life? 
first question we got to ask is, is this dude sincere? So look carefully at a couple of the details. He's a ruler. He's, okay, he's Jewish. And he's a ruler. That means he's a part of some ruling council. And he says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what he's saying is, what do I need to do to be with God forever? Now, you may have used the word heaven to think about that, but I like eternal life here because it means living in a relationship with the God of the universe forever. And it's not someplace else. The God dimension is right here. When we just live with God forever, and it starts now on this side of physical life, but when we, we die, we are with God forever without any barriers. And this guy wants it. I'm going to go with the money that says he's sincere. I'm guessing he wants it. He wants it bad. And I think maybe you're in the room or listening online because you want it bad. I want to want it bad, and I want you to want it bad with me. That's what a family is about. Let's do this together. Let's want it bad together. So here he is. He says that. Now, this is the kind of, in some way, a weird thing that Jesus is going to say back to him. Watch this. He says, why are you calling me good? Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? And then look at what he said. Nobody's good except God alone. Just hold right here just a second. I think that what Jesus is doing is sniffing out this guy. He's sincere, yes. But I think this guy thinks that if I'm just good enough, I'm a good person. If I just do enough of the right things and don't do enough of the wrong things, I'm in. That's what I think this man thinks. Can I be good enough to be acceptable to God? Oh, that's a slippery slope. Doesn't work. The answer is, if you want to know the answer right now, can you be good enough to be acceptable to God? Nope. We can't. That's why we have that thing. See it? The cross. I'm pointing at the cross. It's empty. That cross means we weren't good enough. We can't be good enough. But somebody was. It's Jesus. But this interaction with this guy, Jesus has him right here. Because this man really wants it. But he's already starting out thinking all of the list of things that we all would agree on that are good and bad. I'm doing the good ones. And is that going to be enough? I think the guy has a little doubt in his mind because he maybe he's been watching Jesus. And he's thinking, well, there's something about me. I don't think it's all there yet. So on we go with this interaction. Jesus says to him, you know the commandments. And, of course, Jesus is talking to a Jewish person, and it's the Ten Commandments. You've heard of them. There's a bunch of them in there. There's 10, and they, they, they have all kinds of, it's a good rule of life. The Ten Commandments are a fantastic rule. Life comes from God. It better be good, right? So here's the Ten Commandments. You know them, and he doesn't list them all. Look, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony Don't, and honor your father and mother. Okay, that Jesus rattles off about half of the 10, right? And the guy backs up and goes, check them all off. Again, let him be sincere, but he's checking boxes, but not completely because there's something about him that's uneven or upsetting or unsettled, and there's something he's not getting and he wants it, and so here he is trying to figure it out, and he goes, he says to Jesus, and you take him at his word, he's a good guy, he's really not doing all those bad things, he says to Jesus, man, I've been doing this since I was a kid, Boy Scout, and he grew up. So he was the kid that learned he was not, and he started sharing his fries. <laughs> I did it. And so now, now watch what happens. To that. Jesus heard this. He said to him, oh, my son, 
Jesus can see through him, into him, and he recognizes something. He said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. That's, a tra- that's another way of saying eternal life. You'll have eternal life. Then come follow me. Let's just sit here for a minute. Let me tell you what that isn't. This is not social economic policy. Okay, what Jesus is not saying, forget about capitalism, become a poor person. That's not what he's doing. He's reading this man's heart. And remember, he's a ruler and he's wealthy and he's sincere, but he's also a little lost. Here's what Jesus is saying to him. He's saying, my son, you've siloed your money. You've given everything else to me the best you knew how to do it, but you're holding this back. And he can sense it. He can feel it. So there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being poor. There's nothing wrong with being middle class. Middle class. But what this ruler dude who's wealthy has done is, it's mine. It's mine. You see it? Well, it's really not his. But he doesn't get it yet. Watch what Jesus says to him. I mean, watch what happens next. Oh, what happened to the rest of the passage? (laughs) Oh, it's not there. The rest of the passage says this. He turned and walked away very sad. Something like that. He turned and walked away. The guy hears Jesus say, bro, you've siloed one piece of your life. And I want to connect with you in every way. Because remember, Genesis 1, I made it all. So I would, I would suggest to you, why are we talking about money? Well, because many of us think that it's ours, and I, I'm not fussing. I don't want anything from you. I promise you, I want something for you. Yeah, we have a church, and we have a budget, and you expect a pastor to get up and to ask you for money. I'm not doing that. You, God will take care of this church. What God really wants is our hearts, and we think some of it's ours. What would have Jesus have said is if, I, if this guy was generous and gave a lot of his money away, but he was estranged with his parents, and they were broken in their relationship. You know what he just said? He just said, go home and forgive your parents. But the dude was siloing it and wanted to stay angry and resentful. Jesus would have gone straight to the thing that you and I are holding on to, and he'd say, I love you so much. I want all of you. You must release it. See, what happens in our lives when we have these tensions is it's right where God is wanting to connect with us where we aren't connected. Sit down on top of that for a minute because you're going to want to win from this conversation with me today. You're going to want to win with this reflection with Jesus today. And the win is going to be for you and for me, where am I siloing and how can I start taking steps to to let go of it? Open it up. Yeah, you can have one. Have five. Now can come the next text. Look at what the great Apostle Paul said. This is, see, the thing about Jesus, it's upbeat. Uh, be upbeat. What, he's, what Paul is saying, and Paul is speaking to the 
fellow, the family of believers in this little city of Philippi. It's northern Greece, maybe even Macedonia. I'm not exactly sure, but it's on the Greek peninsula, but up high. And its name, Philippi, is named after Philip, the father of Alexander the Great. And it was an important city, a robust city. And the Christian faith moved there, and people began to be Jesus followers there. And this unbelievable dude, the Apostle Paul, the senior vice president for sales and marketing of the Christian movement, Paul would go to places and get people started following Jesus, and he'd write letters to help them continue to grow. And he writes these people, and he's saying, Atta boy, I know it's hard. Because the people were getting creamed for being Jesus followers. And look at what Paul writes. I, I'm going to change it. I'm translating a little bit. This is Fitz's translation. I, Paul, am confident of this. I am confident of this. And what he says is, I've been confident. I'm confident now, and I'm going to keep being confident. That's what that means. It's, a, it's because it's in the perfect tense. My son Reed laughed at me this morning about talking about grammar. I just did it again. The perfect tense means it's action that happened in the past and continues having its imp impact into the present. Perfect tense, confident. I'm confident. I was confident. I'm confident now, and I'm going to keep staying confident. Not in himself, Paul's saying, but look who God is uh, Paul is confident in. I'm confident in that he, that is the Jesus Christ, the one who began a good work with you, my brothers and sisters in Philippi. He won't quit. He will bring it to completion. He'll keep working on you until the day that Jesus fixes everything. He ain't quitting on you. It's upbeat. It doesn't matter what it is that you and I might be siloing. Jesus Christ loves us the way we are, pours himself into us where we are, but loves us too much to leave us where we are, wants to move us to be more and more like himself. He wants the child to grow into maturity and can't wait to share. Because sharing gives purpose because you see somebody else's life impacted. We're about impact, this family of faith, this one. Real transformation because of real relationships. So the Bible, listen to this. We silo, it's mine. We talk about our money. I was thinking about this. I heard a story yesterday about a young man who was investing in penny stocks. It cost him eight cents a piece. He put about 40 grand into them. He sold them at $165. You do the quick math. Eight cents to $165, $40,000 at eight cents a cut. How hard would it be to think that's God's? Really hard. Dude, I'm the one that put my money at risk. I made big money. I'm smart. And he is. And he's wealthy. You may know who I'm talking about. Maybe he traded at $159, something like that. Eight cents to $159 thousands of shares and that yeah I get it and it's true for me but the Bible mentions money and possessions 2,350 times the next thing I think in second place looking way out in the front to see if they can even see first place the next thing I think maybe prayer and faith about 500 times why does the Bible talk about money and possessions 2,300 times it's because we think it's ours. It's the number one thing in the way. It might not be number one, but it's in the top five. Seriously. And I, Jesus wants to connect with us. And if we're holding back, we're holding back. He loves us. The first thing about the character of God that motivates God. Why did God say in Genesis 1, let me make a world. I'm going to make a universe. The reason that God said it 
is because God is just busting out the seams of love. He doesn't need us, but man, does he want us. He doesn't need anything you're holding on to in order for him to be okay. He wants us to open up to him so he can connect with us and lead us into the person he made us to be. We'll become our more and more looking like Jesus, and each one of us kind of, each of us is a snowflake. And we want to be the snowflake that we are, but we look more and more like Jesus' snowflake so that we go out there and just do cool stuff. And we endure hard stuff together. And we encourage each other together. It ain't really mine. What's the win for you this morning? What, how can you be a person who wins? Let me tell you another fantastic thing that might have happened in the Bible about a huge win. You ready for this? And out comes my Bible. Come on. Come on. There it is. Some of you have heard of the man in the Bible called, named Joseph of Arimathea. Maybe you haven't. I'm going to tell you about him. Jesus is lynched. He's executed. And a man named Joseph of Arimathea, listen to this. This is after Jesus' execution, Matthew chapter 27. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Are you guessing where I'm going? You figured it out yet? Let me tell you about tombs. Some way that people were buried in this time and day is you'd have hewn out of a, of a, of a rock, a cavern, kind of small cavern, a bench. Baxter's been there, a bench, and you put the body on the bench. You cover it with burial clothes and stuff like that. And over time, the body decomposes what's left as, a bo as bones. You get those bones, you put them in a small box called an ossuary. And then the tomb gets used again for the next person, right? Just got a little recurring revenue there from the real estate. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a timeshare. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Someone else did. <laughs> Evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. What? What if Joseph of Arimathea, who had siloed, walked away sad? Many people think this is possible. This is not my idea. What if he's Joseph of Arimathea? What if he got it? What if he decided to follow Jesus? What if he opened up his life? What if he used his assets to bury Jesus? See, Jesus doesn't quit on us. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work with you will finish the job. What's the win for you? I'm going I'm a I'm gonna put some I'm gonna let my imagination put money on old Joseph of Arimathea. Is that all right with y'all? Huh? Does that not inspire you? Does that not fire you up? So what you're being challenged to do today is ask the question, what's the win for me? What am I siloing? Maybe it's a conversation. I'm just going to talk about McLean. Can I do this just for a second? McLean and her, and her husband, Matt, they have a little bit of extra work in their life, which means they got a little extra money. And you know what they did? They sat down, the four of them, McLean and Matt, and their Will's about seven, eight. Will's eight, and Maggie's in the kindergarten. And McLean and Matt explained, we got a little extra loot coming in, but we're giving off the top. What are we going to give it to? 
So they take a cut of the new income and sat and had a little family meeting, a little bitty eight-year-old mind, a little bitty five-year-old minds, mom and dad. I mean, they could easily go buy a new pair of jeans with it, but no. We're going to give some of it away. That's a win. Maybe it's a conversation like that with your family. Maybe it's just stopping to recognize in the intimacy and privacy of your own heart that you thought it was yours, whatever it is. It could be resentment of your parents. I had to work through that with mine, and I did. I, I was siloing. I don't know what it is, but I know this. If Joseph of Arimathea, years later, is the person who finally trusted his life with Jesus and became the giver there at the end of Jesus' life. Man, he can work with you. He can work with me. He can make a difference. What's the win? Think of one right now. Let it go. It, you know it's not yours. I'm going to pray. We thank you, gracious God, that we get this possible fantastic thing at the very end of Matthew's gospel. Maybe it was that young guy who gets older and wiser and then finally just surrenders to you and lets go. Maybe that person that walked away sad got born again, became a follower of Jesus. In our own families and lives, we're doing it right now. Help us to figure out right now today, this moment, what is it that you want us to let go of, knowing that your motivation is you don't need it, you want us. And when we hold on to something other than you, then that's the part of us that can't get to you. You can't get to it. That's the win for us. We thank you, gracious God, that you take us just as we are. You love us just as we are. It's okay to be a mess. We can come to you as a mess, and you're going to lovingly grow us from wherever we are in the maturity cycle. You're just going to make us more and more mature, more and more like you. And really what that means is we just let go and let you connect with us in every area of our life. And we want to be your men, your women, your boys, and your girls. Thank you, gracious God, that the first thing you always say to us is that you love us and that motivates everything else. You are love. We sing and we celebrate and we pray and we listen to scripture and we reflect and we use our imaginations all in the name of the king who loves us and gave everything he had for us so that we could connect it back to him. It's in Jesus' name, King Jesus, that we have gathered today. Amen. My friends, we are going to have a meeting. We're not having any more music. Please don't go. We have a cool thing that's going to happen in just a few minutes. We're going to hear the nominees to be the elders for the class of 2025. Four of them are going to be nominated. And if uh, talk amongst yourselves while starting the meeting in just a couple of minutes, if you would do that for me. You good? Huh? You good? Yeah.